From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 489, VMware and PowerShell with guest Chris Wall. Recorded Tuesday, August 23rd, 2016. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Chris Wall, who's a published author, a tech writer, a double VCDX. I think you can get a cream for that. Uh, PowerShell MVP and the host of the Data Knots show. He's also a technical evangelist for Rubrik Inc. And uh, what's Rubrik? Oh, Rubrik's a, a startup out of the West Coast that focuses on backup and recovery and data protection. Cool. But in a more more fun way. Yeah. So you, you're, you're in the in the startup world as well. First time, yeah. Putting on my big boy pants, trying out the West Coast, see how that does. Oh, that's nice. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, I've read your VMware stuff for many years, but you're recently a PowerShell MVP as well, which is congratulations. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, April, I think, I, I got hit up. And, and, you know, I didn't really know much about the MVP program for a long time, to be fully honest with you. And I just kind of threw out some of my information and was very surprised to be picked up by the by the group just because I have been so aligned with VMware for so long and back when Microsoft and VMware were kind of rivals and bitter enemies and now they seem to be getting along uh, much more much more uh, cooperation than competition which is cool I tend to agree and I think one of the things is that it's it's almost like the relationship that happened with Novell I mean Novell used to make a living selling networking and then Microsoft commoditized it as part of Windows and VMware started out the business was virtualization and then Hyper-V gets thrown in. So, but there's still, there's space for, I mean, you cannot argue with vSphere and their application virtualization product is the best in the world by a long way. I wouldn't disagree. And really for me, I was always on the end user space. I was a customer Mm -hmm. and I ran VMware for the infrastructure and I ran Microsoft as the operating system and all the applications themselves. So I've always worked in both worlds. It just, you know, the Microsoft world was a was a long time of experience and pain and pleasure for me. You know, Active Directory, Exchange, whatnot. Oh yeah. And then VMware comes along, and it's like this is something new and shiny, interesting. And I kind of pivoted towards that in 2008 or so. Uh, so so both complement one another for sure. And you know, the funny thing is, I started Run As Radio back in 2007 on the basic idea that, hey, you know, there were no podcasts out there were sort of friendly to Microsoft. They were all anti-Microsoft <laughs> talking about other technologies. Like, you know, we all we all kind of run Microsoft technology in our shops anyway, we, even if we're angry with it. We can't just berate it all the time. We could sort of shell, share some ideas, try and be better. So I, I spent a long time with uh, with Microsoft, pretty much from the NT days professionally and the 3. whatever days unprofessionally. And I remember around that time looking for like a pro Microsoft t-shirt or ball cap or whatnot. And it was always inflammatory and negative paraphernalia that you could find on the internet. So <laughs> I was like, I want to, I want like an, I love Microsoft sticker. They just didn't exist at the time, but now they're everywhere with the the cat riding the unicorn with flames coming out of its eyes. So 
it's a much different world. It has, it has certainly evolved. I am willing to wear a shirt that says, I run my Microsoft Exchange because deep down I hate myself. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because there's nothing like the fear of running your own Exchange server. Like, that's just, it's just, you know, I, I would say SharePoint's a little worse. You're yeah. more masochistic, but <laughs> Exchange is certainly up there. <laughs> so, are you, do you still live with VMware a fair bit? You know, definitely from the infrastructure side, it's it's there. It's running in my lab. It's running in my work lab. Mm-hmm. Um, I've pivoted more towards the automation side of the world, um, kind of bridging what we can do with with Microsoft's PowerShell and right. what we can do with VMware and the vSphere world and the applications that can that can kind of ride on top of that. I'm not so deep into the hypervisor stuff anymore because I feel like that's kind of old hat and, and we've we've sung that song before. It's definitely more about automation. It does seem like mature technology these days. It's like you, you don't run into people like virtualization. What's that anymore? <laughs> Very infrequently. It's certainly I have run into a few folks that are like, hey, this virtualization thing, that's a fad, right? We're still all physical. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, that's it's like digging up a time capsule and finding your old photos with the mullet on it from the 80s. So <laughs> it can be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally fair. But when it comes to the automation side of the equation, I mean, obviously you, you're taking PowerShell seriously. They've made you an MVP. That's sort of a hint. But I, you just don't think about VMware and PowerShell in the same sentence. I, I think it depends. If you... We're in the VMware ecosystem for a long time. And then you're probably familiar with Power CLI, mm-hmm. which is historically it's been VMware's snap in and then recently they've been making it more of a module. Um, and, and I think if you're in the VMware ecosystem and, and heavily doing that kind of work, you may have just thought Power CLI was an application and not realized that it's an extension to PowerShell. But realistically, VMware has been a long time supporter and fan of PowerShell. I think the virtual infrastructure toolkit was the first incarnation of their their PowerShell commandlets and functions. And that was uh, around the, the ESX two days that that came out, maybe three. Wow. Uh, so we're talking uh, almost a decade uh, of work with automation. And then when PowerShell kind of came out, I think that was, what, 2008, something like Somewhere that. Somewhere in there, yeah. And then the yeah. early days were, you know, they were just trying to get Microsoft to use it, much less anybody else. Yeah, and it was a great way to work with all the objects and information within the VMware world. And then it finally became an official, you know, snap in an official download that was installable from VMware. And it was a really great way to do automation, either ad hoc scripting or actual full blown, you know, config management with VMware long before other vendors really kind of, you know, jumped on the wagon. So I think they were pretty early in adopting that particular framework. And of course, today, just recently, there's been the big announcement that PowerShell has gone open source and it's going to use the open source version of the of .NET. And so it'll run on Mac, it'll run on on Linux. Uh, not to universal acclaim. Yeah, we were we were kind of talking about that earlier, that uh, there's certainly people that are very upset by this, which, you know, you, you have the choice of installing PowerShell on your Mac or Unix or Linux box. So you could just not do that. You, if, you, you could. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want, it's like, uh, you know, if I don't want the Python code on my Windows box, I just don't install it. Yeah. Funny. But, so it's a choice. I've spent enough time with Linux to be comfortable around bash and, you know, I've, it's perfectly capable. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just that PowerShell comes at it from a different point of view and, and I think really has a deeper tie into various products, including VMware. But it is nice to know it's not just because of open source, here's VMware. They've been there for a long, long time. Yeah, and I think that's a key point to PowerShell's credit is that I don't want to spend a lot of time, I don't really want to spend any time 
working on integrating whatever I have with whatever I need it to be working with. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say PowerShell to talk to VMware to config my environment. And the fact that there is such a rich ecosystem around PowerShell, just about every vendor supports commandlets and functions. They have a module you can download. You can get modules off GitHub and the PowerShell gallery. It just makes starting with the code really simple. It, most of the work's been done for you. You just find the commandlets you need and away you go. Nice. So I don't have to spend a lot of time recreating the wheel over and over again like I do with some Ruby or Go projects. So my first exposure to virtualization, because also I'm an old guy, was for testing. And in my experience, I mean, granted, it's pretty normal in the enterprise and in organizations to use it in production these days, but the virtualization of a lab is like the greatest thing in the world that you can test any environment, do anything you want. But I could see mixing PowerShell into that to just make it super quick to stand up different VM configurations. That's actually a large part of what I do at my day job mm -hmm. uh, with the Rubrik team. We We have a number of labs that are configured uh, I was fortunate enough to get into the company early when there were no labs. So I could say, oh, it's all Greenfield. Let's do it, quote unquote, right. I'm not trying to like preach that I know the answer to life, the universe and everything, but let's do it right. So the entire infrastructure is running VMware on, under the covers, hmm. uh, various Microsoft applications uh, within virtual machines. But the entire thing is driven by automation with PowerShell. I made a very conscious decision to write all of the config management. Uh, the provisioning processes, the lifecycle management, it's all written in PowerShell and it's all just kind of running as scheduled tasks because I don't want to spend a lot of time in the lab. And you can imagine a lab for an entire company that's global, constantly have things being spun up, spun down or, or not spun down, all these relics left over that you need cleaned up and refreshed for the next day. And so... Well, that's the ultimate punishment of virtualization for the IT guy <laughs> is, whose VM is this? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so that's the idea is... We don't really care about the virtual machine itself. These things are for, they're, they're running largely ephemeral workloads to demo various features. Sure. And so they're spun up when they're needed. And then every night, essentially, I just made a, a, a basic pass through the environment to say, you know, does it meet the configuration requirements that I've set forth in this file? If not, remediate those drift items and anything that's, you know, superfluous in the environment, just throw it away Shut and make down. a new one for the next day. So nice. it's, it's been fun. So you've built a self-service infrastructure internal to the organization. Close, close to that. Yeah, there's there's a few pieces that are manual. I need to spend a little bit more time on the front end. I uh, started on the back end. Mm -hmm. Essentially, right now, if you were to make changes in the environment or throw something away or, or do something that's against the norm, uh, this will go ahead and find that and, and fix it. So if you were to delete your virtual machine or someone deleted your demo virtual machine, uh, the next day you'll get a new one. Oh, I see. Uh, and you can run that ad hoc as well. So you guys sort of a dis desired state configuration environment against VMware. Basically, yeah. Yeah, just using their code. So you're working from templates for that? Uh, we have some templates that are just there to spin up base operating system mm -hmm. virtual machines, you know, Windows and, and Linux and things like that. Uh, realistically, though, the rest of the environment is declared in a PowerShell file. Because again, I wanted to keep it all PowerShell. I could have used JSON or YAML or something, but sure. figured, hey, let's let's declare the environment in PowerShell, and then all of the modules that I've written to go through and look at the vSphere environment base the decisions on the the PowerShell declaration file. And, and to be honest, I I felt like the at the time DSC was a little bit too new. This was before PowerShell five had, had been released. Sure. I mean you can even argue the DSC is still too new. 
Yeah, it's, it feels like it's a good start to a framework, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot on top of it quite yet. I, I feel like maybe the next major release is going to be that p- point where I start rewriting everything to go DSC. But that was the general premise behind the idea. You know, write a config, make it abstracted from the actual implementation, and try to make it all PowerShell so that I don't have to spend time in the lab because I don't, I don't really have the time. Right. That's the sysadmin 101, right? Laziness should drive all your decision making. Oh, yes. No, if you had to do it twice, that's one too many times. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. You know, and you could tell when an IT guy is doing his job perfectly because he's sitting back in his chair, staring into space or playing World of Warcraft. Just hit that boss key anytime the, the, the boss comes by. F12 for the win. Yeah. I, I think if you just keep a red flashing light overhead and always look distressed, they'll leave you alone. That would also work. Yeah, I'm going to take that for consideration. <laughs> so you get a new sales guy who wants a new demo environment, that kind of thing. Is that just a tweak to the code? What, you know, what does it look like to add to the sort of base configuration? Yeah, that's the one manual thing where you essentially input the person's name right. um, into a CSV. Because I figured, why make it hard? Let's make it something yeah. anybody can do. You can do. wrap it in XML and hate yourself. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I could get as fancy as I want. But I'm like, hey, all I really need is two items, first name, last name. So yeah. let's just make this simple. Uh, so you add it to the file, uh, and then you, I have it set to, uh, once you add it to the file, I want someone to manually rerun the, the, the script that looks through the environment and says, okay, we've got a new user. And that goes through, builds them all their workloads and creates all their accounts and computer objects with an AD. Essentially everything you would do to, to set up a new person. Yeah. It sounds like an onboarding process. Yeah. It's actually called, uh, SE onboarding there you go. <laughs> is the name of the script. Yeah. Uh, and then it'll automatically run after that point. I, the, the reason I want someone to manually run it is just so they get their workload right then. Um, and then what the future operation does is, you know, each night it says, okay, I have Bob Jones. He's a, he's a salesperson or engineer or whatever he is in the environment. Let's look over all of his information and make sure it's still there. It's still correct. It's in the right place. His workloads are still running. And if they're not, it goes ahead and recreates them or deletes whatever is, is extra erroneous and, and then recreates the correct stuff. Uh, so once you've entered the person in the environment, they're pretty much good to go forever until you need to make a change to the config. And I, I mean, I'm just going to presume here because we're just thinking through onboarding with PowerShell that you also you're doing really a traditional onboarding of they get security credentials, they get an email, you know, you know, those kinds of account privileges. But you've just added in, oh, and here's your set of VMs. Exactly. Exactly. So you figure all the normal user and security stuff right. uh, as well as let's go ahead and pre-populate the computer objects so they're in the right spot with an ad and get the right gpos mm-hmm. and then provision the workloads you know everybody gets a windows and a linux box put them in the right folder within vsphere uh, make sure they're the correct size and, and whatnot and then you know trigger something to say hey it's all done uh, so there's there's more fanciness that could be added there but it handles 95 percent of the grant work that's awesome uh, which was which was the goal yeah. cool way to think hey chris give me a second to pay the bills here because run as radio is brought to you by upguard in the aftermath of data breaches the public is often told we couldn't have seen it coming but in a lot of cases that's just not true over 80 percent of breaches have their root in misconfiguration whether it be a firewall rule server setting open port or third-party service UpGuard is the premier system of record for IT configurations, no matter the platform, pinpointing anomalies and surfacing unauthorized changes in critical systems around the world. See how it works and get a live, customized demo at UpGuard.com slash RunAsRadio. You do podcasting, so you know we have to pay the bills sometimes, right? Gotta have the skills to pay the bills. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm so fortunate, you know, 10 years of doing this show. I've had some great sponsors, and uh, the UpGuard product is an easy one to recommend. It's, It's very, very clever. 
and uh, just a great way to think about managing configuration. All right. You stick strictly to the vSphere side of this thing, like just managing uh, the, this infrastructure. What about, you know, heavily loaded VMs or, you know, hardworking VMs as opposed to these more, you know, that's just an SE doing a demo, that kind of thing? Yeah, we, we have a couple separate environments for that, um, mainly because there's no real reason that I couldn't mix the workloads and, and manage it that way. But right. I wanted to create con- a kind of a, a logical air gap between what is okay to play with and throw away and mm-hmm. destroy and have visibility to and what needs to just be long running, you know, actually long term servers and applications. So they're actually in two different virtual center environments. Uh, that I think I, I fundamentally agree with that, right? Like there's one you could run Kel scripts on and just apologize for. And the other one, which is a career limiting moment. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to do as well was I want the entire demo environment to be completely a, a nuclear wasteland and that be okay and not lose any <laughs> management or anything like that. Yeah. So all of the, the vCenters, the databases, the applications that aren't just purely there for demo are in a management cluster running vSphere hosts that, that is very locked down and, and, and has permission sets only a, a small number of folks. Is it sort of an acknowledgement that some of your servers are cattle and some of them are still pets? Definitely. I, I am not in the fully cattle world yet. And, and realistically, it's just because the applications that run the infrastructure are not uh, cattle yet. You know, you Cattle-minded. vCenter and SQL are not cattle. They no. are definitely pets. No, so. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. I, I agree with that. Thou shalt not randomly kill SQL servers. There will be trauma. Yes. So, yeah, it, it completely makes sense. And then that even further reinforces the idea of two different pens, you know, one for the pets, one for the cattle. Yeah, I just I've pretty much always subscribed to the idea of a management cluster where you run the stuff that manages everything else, because mm-hmm. I don't like the circular nature of managing the managers within themselves. That just feels <laughs> dirty. So. <laughs> Well, and I also get the sense you like the man in the middle somewhere, right? Like there's somebody, it, stuff will self-configure, but there is eventually someone pushing a button. You're not automatically firing everything in the world. To a small degree, yeah. I like the, I like a little bit of human interaction in there. Uh, there's a couple side reasons for that too. One, it kind of forces someone to take a look at the environment mm-hmm. every once in a while. So it's not completely going bonkers and nobody's looking at it, even if it's just me. Yep. So I, I like that there's there's about five people that have that kind of access and, and just knowing that they're going to be in there once in a while is a good thing. Uh, the other thing is we're all people, we're all human. And I know I have made a lot of errors in my scripts. Sure. Uh, totally pooched it a couple times. Yeah. So knowing that worst case, even if I start out star something on accident and say delete everything, it's not actually going to hurt what's managing the environment. Many, 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 many years ago, like in the Nokia 5400 series phone, remember the little phone, the candy bar phone with the nub antenna? Oh, where the battery lasted 19 years, yeah. Yeah, 19 years. And it was one of the first phones that actually did SMS. Wrote an automated SMS generator for uh, sending out alerts when we had server problems and accidentally sent myself 32,767 text messages in about 10 seconds. That must have been a fun bill. And back then, you had to delete them one at a time. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually called the telephone company, the the cell provider, and it took me a while to get to tier three. But when I told them, hey, I've got this unusual problem with uh, text messages, and I gave him the phone number, he goes, oh, it's you. Oh, they knew you. Okay. (laughs) He'd seen it on the other side, right? Because it's so out of specs. I'll delete it from here. Don't do that again. 
Although nowadays, I think teenagers do get about 32,000 text messages a day, so it's probably less anomalous than it used to be. They actually type each one by hand. Yeah, smiley face, smiley face. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yes. Thumbs up. I'm obviously not in that world. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. That like, You have to be careful with automation because you can do some extraordinarily dumb things. Well, that's why. So I've got a project that I wanted to let your listeners know about sure. on GitHub. Uh, it's called Vester because it's based off of Pester, the unit fr uh, testing framework. Uh, but it's for vSphere environments. So that's why I swapped the P for a V. Um, so... The idea there is to use Pester to look through a vSphere environment and use a, a decorative config file, use Pester to then look at what is actually configured in the environment. And if you choose by passing a remediate uh, parameter to the test, it'll actually fix the, the, the deltas. So it's kind of like a, a roll your own DSC with actual remediation, um, you know, kind of configured with PowerShell. So it's something that if you're looking to do kind of that work and you don't want and you want to kind of write your own code and look at how Pester works. And I don't know. I think it's a fun project. Look at Vester. I know. I love it. And, it, and, I, and I'm a big fan of Pester as well. And I think it's a challenge for operations folks to sort of get into this mindset of the scripts we build are not just our own. We share them with an organization. Mm -hmm. They need source management and they need testing. That was the that was the drive originally. I was, I was looking at, um, I was looking at DSC and I was looking at Ansible and some other things. And mm -hmm. the problem that I found was they all can sort of talk to VMware stuff, sort of, but they don't really do anything interesting and there's no official real support behind it. And it's, it's the wild west. You know, we really haven't figured out what we want to do for config management holistically for, for vSphere. Uh, and vSphere actually has these host profile things you can get with the enterprise plus licensing that are not so awesome. So we'll just say that. Uh, so they're trying. How about that? Yeah, be nice. it's been around for a long time. It's still not so great. Still but not great. Yeah, they get the they get the you know the gold star for effort. <laughs> so I, I was playing with Pester to do to do testing on some other projects that I wrote, and I said, you know, there's really no reason I couldn't look use Pester to look through an environment and compare values. Sure. And so I did, and I said, well, what if I just put like a you know a try catch in there that if it does fail, it tries to fix it. Uh, and that was really how the project was born. And I'm very lucky to have uh, three other contributors that have that have put a lot of effort and code into it. And we clearly hit a hit a nerve with it with a few folks here. Yeah, that they that they also have your same reaction of I need this, right? But that most of the best projects I've ever seen on GitHub, that's exactly what it is. Is I have this problem too. Yeah, originally I was originally I wrote my own engine to hmm. run through config and and remediate drift. And I realized, why should I do that? Pester is great as an engine to, sure. to run through tests. I'll just use that. And I, I, I presented it to a few people and they're like, kind of, you had that mind blown moment that the guy with the, the space, you know, <laughs> yes, you of know course. the gif I'm talking about. You know about. the gif. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, but that's for testing. I'm like, but it can be so much more than that. So it's something fun that they can take a look at, I think. This is the good side of the DevOps movement in my mind is these moments where you realize, Hey, the way that testing takes this problem on is a really powerful way for me as a guy responsible for managing, you know, drift on my, on my uh, environment to, to sort of beat it back and get a coherent report about what happened. Exactly. And my biggest. I guess pet peeve as an architect, uh, I did consulting for a while as an architect and I worked for companies as an architect was, you, you know, you, you want to keep a little bit of that technical roots. You don't want to be the, the lofty 
architecture team uh, that yes, the, has no idea what actually is happening. The astronaut architect? Yeah, exactly. I never wanted to be that guy. But at the same time, I wanted to I wanted to just pass more than documentation to the engineering team. I wanted to kind of say, here's what I want and, and collaborate more on a config mm-hmm. rather than doc. Because the moment you write a doc, it's out of date. It, yeah. They're basically worthless. So this felt like a great way where you could engage with engineering or if you're an engineer, you can engage with architecture, agree on some kind of state uh, for the environment. And you can all see what it is and collaborate on it using a distributed version control system like Git and GitHub rather than the whole tribal knowledge. You know, nobody knows what the heck's going on because Bob wrote the config 10 years ago. Right. And it's in that folder that nobody has privileges <laughs> to anymore. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So this feels like the the much better and I guess more more DevOpsy way to do things. Well, the idea that the only real truth is the code that's running today or, you know, at least at midnight. Yeah. So, you know, the truth, the truth will arrive somewhere around midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plus or minus. There you go. So it's, you know, I'm not trying to say that this is the right way to do things, but it's certainly been an interesting journey and, and fun to work with folks. And it's something that I use on a daily basis uh, for my environment. So it's been fun. Oh, and, and it speaks to an idea of, you know, getting some more support around uh, PowerShell and VMware together, so that you can you can really you know build a sustainable solution. This, as an aside, why not Hyper-V? Um, you know, I just haven't really gone down that road. Sure. I've, I've deployed it as a as a virtual machine once in a while just yep. to play with it. You know, it's one of those things. It's not broke, so I don't fix it. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, and I do feel like and you, you've already said this. You, you are running a mixed OS environment, and Hyper-V is very Windows-centric. Yeah. But for me, it's um, I'm not even really focused at that layer all that often. Mm-hmm. You know, I use Azure for, for cloud. I use VMware for on-prem. Right. And that's just kind of what runs my VMs. I don't really... I, have, I don't think I've even touched one of my hosts... In God, even a year at least, they just they just run. You know, I patch them. And it sort of speaks to the quality of the product that you know I pay no attention to this at all because it just has no problems. Yeah, and I don't do anything really fancy with it. So that's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, but I don't I don't hate on Hyper V or KVM or any of those things either. They're just other choices. Yeah. So I try to be pretty pretty chill when it comes to the infrastructure layer. Yes, it is not where the action is per se. When you were doing this automated run to, to set these things up, talk to me a little bit about the networking side because I think people struggle with that more than anything in a virtual environment. Yeah, the, that, that's actually why I wrote the uh, the networking for VMware admins book. Was uh, it, It's usually a blind spot for sysadmins and engineers and whatnot. It's definitely one of the more siloed pieces of the data center. You know, the network folks are like, what are they doing over there? I don't know. They're touching a router. Don't don't mess with them. <laughs> so, as far as the as far as the scripting goes, I try to I try to pre-provision all the networks and build in all the smarts for it ahead of time. And I actually got a few folks that reached out to me over Twitter DMs recently that said, "Hey, I'd like to add more code to Vester to to look at the distributed switch config and the port group config and whatnot." But at least for my intents and purposes, uh, for an ephemeral lab environment i just carved out a nice big slash 22 set up you know redundant dhcp servers uh give it a very short time to live and just said okay cool we don't really expect any of this stuff to be long-lived i'm okay with there being the possibility of you know thousands of vms online because they're not doing anything special 
right? So, so for that particular use case, I kept it kind of nice, big, wide layer two, just to avoid complications. Right. I'm sure, the network engineers are cringing right now, but well, because I mean, when you think about the modern sort of uh, software-defined networking model, you it becomes an interesting security constraint too. It's like I know exactly what traffic needs to be passed between these VMs, and nothing else shall pass. Yeah, and historically, I've been running VMware's NSX project uh, product mm-hmm. uh, within the environment and and setting up uh, security groups and security policies. But for the you know for the intents and purposes of a demo environment, it just felt overkill, so I yeah. actually removed that piece and just said you know, for what I. That's another thing. Back up and look at your requirements and your constraints. And my requirement really had nothing special around the network, and the constraint was my time and effort of maintaining yet another thing in the lab. Right. Uh, so I went for simple. Well, and, and you know, I I said a very broad thing that people can punch me on any day of the week, which is, do you really know all the traffic that passes between your VMs? Really, really? You know, there's the stuff you know about from your application side, but you know, there's an awful lot of administrative messaging that goes on that's important. And if you if you ream it in, it's a problem. And then same thing with, as you get updates and so forth from in your product, those protocols could change as well. Yeah. And we, we do we do suck a lot of the information in and actually have Grafana dashboards to display, you know, what, what ports are talking on, whatnot, and, and what type of traffic and, you know, health and stats. I've, I've definitely leaned very heavily on Grafana as a project to visualize the data that comes in. But for the most part... Um, it's a it's a it's an environment that has really strong bumpers on it. You know the rails are pretty strong on mm-hmm. it. So there's not the the kind of random randomness that you get with an actual data center. You know where you really need to look at all this oddball stuff that's going on. It's very controlled. Yeah, it make, totally makes sense. And you're also a plural site author. Are we going to see some PowerShell VMware courses from you sometime in the future? Oh, actually, the the behind the scenes on that was I was offered the chance to do a PowerCLI and PowerShell course and Startup life, man. There's just no yeah, free time No cycles to do left. It. Totally get it. Well, it sounds like you're working on something you love, too, because you build a heck of an infrastructure there. So, you know, more power to you. Yeah. And I, I've been trying to talk a lot about that at the VMware user groups and other events where it's, you know, hey, what's PowerShell? How can I talk to RESTful APIs with it? You know, how can I get started with PowerCLI? Uh, so I've been trying to evangelize PowerShell through what I'm doing rather than making a course, which I would love to do if I had the free time. For sure. So where can folks find you? Uh, you get coming to going to certain events, uh, uh, websites they should be visiting? Yeah, I'll be at both of the VMworld events this year in uh, Vegas and Barcelona. Nice. Uh, you can find me on the web at wallnetwork.com. It's W-A-H-L network.com. And my Twitter is at Chris Wall. And uh, for any of the MVPs out there, I'll be at the MVP Summit at the end of this year in uh, November. You and me both, sir. I'll see you there. Sounds good. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. (laughs) 